Guardian Unlimited. Hello and welcome to the first of the Guardian's podcasts from the 2006 Labour Party conference in Manchester. I'm Michael White and with me at the rather grand Palace Hotel are John McDonnell, MP for Hayes and Harlington, Chairman of the Socialist Campaign Group of Labour MPs and of course the man who's already thrown his hat into a distinctly uncrowded ring for a future Labour leadership contest. Also here is Guardian columnist Polly Toynbee. In Labour's case, the leader's always spoken on Tuesday, uh, but this year uh, the climax comes even earlier. Gordon Brown's speech, in which he will later today attempt to satisfy and silence doubters both inside the hall and outside, including John McDonnell, of course, who think he may be the wrong man to succeed Tony Blair. John, is there anything that Gordon Brown could say today that would stop you running for the leadership? Well, if he stood up and said there was going to be a radical break with new Labour, end privatisation, stop this waste of money on Trident, withdraw from Iraq, there might be an opportunity. I might swing behind him, but I can't see it happening. No, we're not holding our breath on those. Uh, he was on um, Radio 4 earlier today in which he knocked, I think, all of those pretty much uh, on the head. Why do you think he's doing that? Well, his argument is he wants, he wants to make peace with the Blairs, Blairites. He doesn't want to antagonise them any further. He needs their support. And I think he's shifting towards the Blair faction, really, to pacify them so that he calms them down at this point. Well, I might say two things. One is he's always been a Blairite moderniser. It was a Blair-Brown project. There's yeah. a, this is a faction fight within the New Labour overall camp. And so you've got the Brown faction and the Blair faction, who on policy terms are no difference whatsoever, as far as I can see. But this is about naked ambition, two factions fighting them out on, on the floor to see who's going to be the leader. Well, I might say, secondly, I suppose, that it's not about connecting with the Blairites so much as connecting with what we call Middle Britain. You get elected in Hayes and Harlington, but elections aren't won in Hayes and Harlington. Well, Hayes and Harlington is a classic um, seat that we won in '97, which was a Tory seat before then. It was won on the basis of my campaigning on the policies I'm campaigning on now. What was your majority? in 97 and what's it now? It's 13,000, it's about 11,000 with a lower, lower turnout, so I've held my majority in percentage terms and it's been quite a good victory last time. Polly Toynbee, what's Gordon Brown got to say to uh, cheer you up? Or? Well, what he's going to say is I'm going to come from the progressive centre. Uh, he'll say a lot of things to please a lot of people. I notice he's been spinning to different papers. He's Middle England for the Daily Mail, for The Guardian. He's democratiser, decentraliser, very keen to get rid of his control freak image. I think what matters more is what he actually does in office, and that's a question of looking into the man's eyes and deciding what his character is. So although people always think it's very frivolous to emphasise personality, in fact, personality is all there is. If we look at what Blair set out to do in 97, thought he'd do in 97, what he actually did is miles away from what he thought he'd do at the time. So in the end, it's what the, Blair, what the Brownites are calling character, principle, experience, are the things that he'll be judged on. We do think character is an important component in uh, the dynamics of politics, don't we, John McDonnell? I'm a policies, not personalities person. And I think it's about, it's about the policies themselves. Of course, you want to have trust in the individual who's going to be the leader of the party and the leader of the country. But I'd like to see a discussion around the policy and the debate. That's why I've called for a televised debate for the leadership campaign. Let's get out there and have a discussion about the policies. At the moment, there doesn't seem to be any discussion about policies. There's nuances within new Labour. It is not talking about a future direction. But Brown this weekend, and Blair too a bit, and the others have been banging on about all sorts of things to show they've not run out of steam. We had the idea of a sort of arm's length board to manage the uh, NHS uh, away from direct control from Whitehall to sort of decentralise Bevan's fame, Nye Bevan's famous remark about, what was it, a bedpan uh, dropping anywhere in an NHS hospital would be down to the minister to explain, <laughs> which uh, well, is the, the state model of the 1940s. This is how narrow the debate within New Labour has become. It's about management techniques 
rather than about the full direction of policy. So we'll still have privatisation of the NHS, but it'll be managers doing it rather than politicians. Is I think we'll see something rather different. I think it's quite interesting. I think that Brown is very good at leaving himself a bit of space, and he seems to say, yes, I'm entirely behind the NHS reforms, but there's nobody who's not in favour of reforming the NHS. It's always being reformed too much, some say. Uh, the question is exactly what reforms. He has said this week a limit to that there is a limit to privatisation, rather different to what Patricia Hewitt said, for instance. I think when what he said about Trident, if you look at it very closely, it doesn't commit necessarily to a, an expensive replacement. He has allowed himself a lot of wiggle room to get closer Polly, to you we'll than get, you may we'll, think. We'll get, on to Trident, <laughs> we'll get on to Trident in a minute. Now, down to the nuts and bolts. Uh, uh, John McDonnell, you've got a certain <coughs> amount of trade union backing for your leadership bid. Uh, Alan Johnson, Education Secretary, uh, former union boss. Everybody's learning a bit more about him these days, but he's uh, very much a Blairite. Uh, would you back him for the deputy leadership or even the leadership if he stood, if you didn't get the support of 44 MPs, which you need in order to get onto the ballot? No, I wouldn't. I don't think the trade union movement is going to back Alan either. Some of them will. Very few. Yeah. I'm, I'm ex to uc and apart from his own role as a general secretary within his own union, which is quite controversial, remember the Gate Gourmet dispute last year, which was that dispute where a large number of Asian women... When he was trade secretary. That's right. Came out on strike. There was solidarity action within the airport. And Alan intervened at that key stage in the dispute with statements on behalf of the trade union movement thought of the employers. I think that destroyed his credibility. So within the trade union movement, and the feel at the TUC last week was that people, rather than vote for him, some of them will march out deliberately and organise against him. And I think he's destroyed his credentials within the trade union movement, particularly around that issue. OK. And uh, do you think he will start? Oh, I think he will. I think he will. I think. Well, I think he'll go for number two almost certainly. Uh, for number one, he'll hedge his bets, and I think at the end of the day, the unions will say to him he hasn't got the support. Yep, I suspect that's the case too. What do you think, Polly Doinbury? I think not having the support of the unions might be an asset to him because he's seen. They've got as a third of the vote. He's he's well, he, he, they don't have the vote as a block anymore. The individuals vote within the unions. Very important to remember that it's often talked about yep, as if it were a block vote. So he still has to appeal to individual people. Those individuals who belong to trade unions don't necessarily vote what their leaders say. It's it's a different universe now. Uh, I think he has considerable charm and political talent. I also think he's he's quite uh, he talks a lot more radical than perhaps Tony Blair and the Blairites do. Uh, nevertheless, it would look like quite a uh, a male image to have a brown uh, a, a, a brown. A ticket without another woman on it, and I actually think that they'll be in bad trouble if they don't get a woman as their deputy. That practically translates as meaning you want the party to elect Harriet Harman as the deputy because of the gender balance matters so much. I think it matters a great deal, but it's not just any old woman. You've got to have a woman who is herself a really vigorous and ferocious campaigner for women. It's no good having a token woman. Who, uh, you know, interestingly, a lot of the women in the cabinet don't actually have children, uh, and they're not particularly associated with feminist fighting causes, whereas Harriet Harman is, and no. I think that name, makes name, her the only name names. I'm not sure. Well, Hil Hilary Armstrong, well, Margaret, she's the only one I can Margaret Beckett, no, and right. Hazel Blears. The three, you know, the sort of top women in the cabinet don't actually have children. It's interesting, it's true They're in not. industry as well, that to make it very often, women have to choose between now, children. Now, jo John McDonald, Polly's got very strong fixed views on this. When you hear talk about gender balance at the top of the Labour Party, the sort of thing Polly's just said, do you think that's a side issue or is it really central oh, no, to the way politics are today? I think, think Polly's right. right. I think Polly's right. You were doing a gender balance. 
and at the moment within Cabinet I can't see anybody reflecting on a gender balanced point of view my political perspective. That's the problem. And I think Harriet Harman will be a strong candidate, definitely. Uh, and I think people will want to see that gender balance when we go into to, to, to the electorate themselves. A lot of women will be expecting a woman to be deputy, I agree. Labour's right. lost the women's vote to Cameron, and they really have to get it back, and that means a lot of hard policies, I don't not think just images. Unfortunately for me, I don't think that translates into an attractive vote for Harriet Harman, uh, because I don't support the policies that she's supporting. I think on her civil liberties position, she's got some real difficulties. However, it's interesting that a number of her statements that she's made over the last week are shifting her more... I'd say leftward to the centre ground than some of the things she said in the past. But what's interesting is everybody's off the leash, aren't they? People can actually say what they think. Well, I've always Suddenly, said for what the I first think. time, I knew and you look had. And look what good it's done. <laughs> it's maybe a leadership candidate. Right. Uh, I'm tempted to go on there. I feel bound to point out that Ruth Kelly has had four children since she became an MP nine years ago, and she's in the cabinet, and they're all under ten. She has a very supportive husband. Right. A Guardian poll on Saturday suggested that the public find David Cameron much more appealing than Gordon Brown, less likely to stab someone in the back for example. Uh, Polly, uh, do you think he can change the sort of image which he has as a rather private, rather the dreadful word we all use is doer, which is a cliche about Scots, but there it is. Nothing wrong with doer, um, as long as you are a doer as well. I think oh. every time he tries to, uh, I think every time he tries to soften his image, it's toe-curlingly terrible. And I hope he doesn't do too much of that in the speech uh, this morning on 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 the on the telly. You know, he said straight away, "Have I had sleepless nights over writing my speech? No, I've had sleepless right nights over my baby." And you think, well. Believe that he's trying will. to soften. He's <laughs> trying to. He, some people find it easy, and some people find it hard. He said on the radio today, "I'm a very private person," and I thought, "Yeah, that's it." He's a, he's a sort of introverted, and Tony Blair's in, ex, an extrovert. The life is unfair. Is that about right, John? Well, I I heard this debate about what's on his iPod, and he was asked what's on, and it's a bit like watching your dad dance at the disco, isn't it? No, really? He's changed. He said on the radio this morning, "It doesn't matter what's <laughs> on your iPod; it's character that counts." And he's going after. But then David he went Cameron on to on say what of... was on his iPod. All righty, um, John. On a more uh, serious note, there are two other issues you're running on. One is Iraq. Uh, you when you spoke last night at a rally with uh, Tony Benn, called for withdrawal of British troops, and of course uh, the Trident yeah. missile renewal uh, program. Now. Uh, um, uh, Tony Blair and Gordon Brown don't seem to have the proverbial piece of paper between them on those two issues. No, no. So um, is it a, a, a bone of contention at the conference here? Because it's not being allowed on the agenda, is it? No, and I think the anger that's building up among rank and file delegates is it's not on the agenda now, and the decision could be taken before next year's Labour Party conference. But in rules terms, nothing's happened. Uh, emergency no. motions, what do they call them now? Contemporary <laughs> motions, uh, have to arise from something which has taken place since the ordinary motions were put in. So it's July and August. Lebanon's on because Lebanon happened in August. Since, since, since the original timetable was set, though, there's been some significant speeches by both Gordon Brown and Tony Blair almost committing the government to Trident itself. In addition to that, over the last fortnight, new information has come out about the costs of Trident. And we initially were told it would be 25, 26 billion pounds. The Guardian ran a piece only, only 10 days ago saying that might have escalated to 76 billion pounds. So there's new information which delegates want to debate, completely understand, and actually MPs want to do. And I think there's about 40 MPs that have put their name to a letter urging the, the chair of the party to intervene, to actually have a debate this week. If we don't have a debate, I think there'll be a real anger. And I actually think Trident itself is unsustainable financially and in ter militarily terms. So there's a key issue here the party's ignoring at their peril. Polly, 
Uh, I'm old enough to remember that in your uh, impetuous youth, you sided with Dr. David Owen on the famous SDP uh, Liberal Party merger. And if I remember rightly, the independent nuclear deterrent, the British deterrent, was a, an important factor in David Owen's view of the world at that critical juncture. Well, actually, I was founder of an extremely short-lived movement called SDPCND. It lasted one riotous meeting and then disappeared in smoke and flames. Because you were an SDP, you were a CND teenager, weren't you? I was always. Was a CND, I was an old master marcher and all of that. My hunch about Trident so is. So you that were Owen's CND wing, let's get this right. <laughs> Insofar as it existed, I was it. <laughs> I think that uh, the thrifty and prudent Chancellor is not going to spend 76 billion on a new Trident. The thing is, the existing Trident can be stuck together with Sellotape for a hell of a lot longer. Everybody knows it. I think that's the fudgy option he'll go for, probably the right one. Uh, keep the, the existing boats, as they call them, going. There's nuclear submarines. And uh, don't we need a new warhead, John McDonnell? I'm sure you're up on the technicalities. No, well, we're told it has to be renewed fairly quickly by the military, but I, I like Polly. I don't believe that either. However... The military could offer to build it in Hayes and Hollington, <laughs> you know. That's how they do it. <laughs> I don't think the Manchester Ship Canal might... Uh, we'll cover it. No, up here. Anyway, the, I, my view is, uh, to a certain extent... Brown will be put on the spot on this issue during the leadership debate on more than most others, including Iraq, but on this issue he'll be put on the spot. And I don't think a fudge will be good enough. I thought it would be good enough for members. Polly, there's a further dimension to this because you've argued in your columns that it is hypocritical for us to lecture Iran on its declared desire to obtain a civil nuclear technology. Israel obviously thinks it's military nuclear technology too, which is possible. Uh, while we uh, carry on with our own uh, military renewal, we've just talked about it, but also by extension, the civil nuclear option for uh, filling the energy gap, which is creeping up on us all very fast indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, it's interesting. Uh, to, well, I, I think on the Iran question, yes, uh, how can we go around preaching to the rest of the world? If we ourselves break a treaty by uh, having, a new, having a replacement, which it would be, uh, I mean, there is a theological answer to that, as you both know, but we'll let it pass. It would be uh, a smaller system than the one they have now. As the missiles are so much more efficient. Well, I read it somewhere must be true. <laughs> uh, they're also very much more expensive, and I, it just looks from public opinion now, but before the debates even really got going, as if there isn't going to be a lot of public support for it. Everybody knows it was a Cold War instrument. It was a way of us getting our UN seat. I'm not sure we deserve a UN seat. If the UN were properly reformed, no much chance of that at the moment, and neither us nor France would have a seat. Europe would have a seat. It's absurd that we're going to spend £76 billion on trying to hold on to our UN seat, which is what it amounts to, and a spurious notion of who we are in the world, which has been a, a, a delusory position we've had in our foreign policy since the war, of it punching above our weight, as the Foreign Office calls it. Madness, very expensive, and uh, it, it, it deceives ourselves as to who we How are. How do you describe Europe's position on the international stage? Would you say Europe punches above its weight or way below it? <laughs> way below it, uh, because it has different views, partly because Tony Blair took such a very different view about Iraq to all of the rest of the people of Europe who were 90% against going into Iraq. So it was we who stuck out that sore thumb, not them. Oh, I'm going to check that percent. John McDonnell, what sense do you have of uh, the international uh, uh, debate vis-a-vis -vis Iran, what's going on, and uh, the nuclear issue, and um, Britain's role, Polly's mentioned it, Britain's role in, uh, in the councils of the mighty in the UN, that UN Security Council seat which we had in 1945 as one of the victors of the war? Uh, Pre-Iraq, Britain had the potential of playing quite a leading role in Europe and assembling Europe uh, uh, for international engagement. 
post-Iraq, because of our credibility has been destroyed, we've alienated a large number of our allies, I think we've lost that opportunity. In this leadership debate, though, this issue of world governance should be brought to the fore, and it hasn't been yet. So the reform of the UN and other institutions that need to be looked at needs to be part of this debate. Thank you, John MacDonald, Polly Toynbee, uh, and thanks to everyone. We'll be back tomorrow morning to talk about how Gordon Brown's speech went down. Look forward to the other big conference highlight. What's he called? Oh, yes, that's right, Tony Blair, his last ever conference speech. Thanks. Bye-bye. Guardian Unlimited.